Welcome to Center Ice. It is the 16th of May, and boy, oh boy, do we have a really exciting, really packed episode for you today. We we should really just jump right in here. And, you know, the first thing I think we have to talk about is once again, Mac, with the elimination of Edmonton a couple nights ago, no Canadian team will lift the cup. Again, this is 30 years now, eh? Yeah, since 1993. And really, you know, how many teams have come close? I think Vancouver came close, Calgary came close, but like, this is kind of getting ridiculous. And obviously there's lots of different reasons for that, but it'll be really interesting to see if that changes in the coming years. But it's really disappointing because remember, like as a nation, we pride ourselves on being the mecca of hockey. The fact that no Canadian team has won it and all these Canadian players have gone to American teams that are much more well-managed and won, it's, it's upsetting. It really is. Let's get this out of the way quickly. This is not a conspiracy against Canadian teams. It's just not. I have my criticisms of Gary Bettman. You have your criticisms of Gary Bettman. But this is not Gary Bettman and the owners sitting in their boardroom in New York City saying, all right, how are we going to stop McDavid and Dreisaitl from winning a cup this year, guys? (laughs) Oh, we can't have Toronto make the Stanley Cup final. Here's the thing that I think disproves that rather quickly. Toronto making the Stanley Cup would be the biggest thing to happen in the city of Toronto in like the last... 50 years. Think about how many people would tune in to watch the Maple Leafs play in a Stanley Cup. It would be a ratings boom. You pretty much have the entire country watching the Leafs play in a Stanley Cup. Of course the NHL wants that. Think about all the money they'd make off of that. So they're not exactly about to go in and sabotage the Leafs or any other team in Canada because they know Canada is a hockey market. The real problem here, Mac, as you said, number one is that Canadian players will go play in the States where it's more desirable for them to play. And number two, bad ownership, bad Bad management, bad coaching decisions. <laughs> That's three big reasons right there on why Canada hasn't won a cup in 30 years. We've talked about Shirelli. We've talked about Bergevin. We're going to talk about Dubas. We're going to talk about Holland today. Bad decisions by the general manager, bad coaching decisions, incomplete rosters do not lead to Stanley Cup success. Exactly. Couldn't have put it better myself. Uh, I'll, I'll finish off this just to say how crazy it is. Uh, some simple math here, Matt says that if every team has an equal chance of winning the cup, which of course they don't, but you know, in this hypothetical probability statistics wonderland, every team has an equal 1 in 32 shot. There's seven Canadian teams. It's almost a statistical impossibility, but these incompetent general managers and owners and coaches have found a way to make it happen. (laughs) Now, let me just say that we have had some really legendary incompetent GMs in Canadian NHL team history. Oh, yes. But anyway, we don't want to keep you waiting too much. So first of all, we want to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, a disappointing end to the season. This is one that maybe a lot of people didn't necessarily see coming. We were skeptical of the Leafs' success going into this round against a hot Panthers team that was playing really well, that was getting good goaltending. And I just... I didn't like what I saw from the start. Didn't matter how much offensive possession and and time on attack and all these things said for the Leafs, they weren't the better team in that series and they deserve to lose. Absolutely. I I know it's been beaten to death, Mac, but it's worth repeating. Where were your core four guys in that series, right? If they aren't performing, you aren't winning. That's not to say that the Leafs don't have some good depth players, but you're paying $40 million plus for these four guys to go out there and be the difference makers. Austin 
Austin Matthews didn't get a goal in that series, right? He looked really good against Tampa Bay. I thought him and Marner, they were going to really lead Toronto on a deep playoff run because they looked so good in round one. But where were they in round two, right? It makes all the difference, especially in these close games. And you know, Leafs defenders will be saying, well, all these games were one or two goal games. They they were toss-ups. Yes, they were. In a playoff series like that, that's where your 10, 11 million dollar men will step up and be the difference makers in those games. And they weren't. Well, absolutely. And like we talked about before, mistakes in the playoffs are magnified good teams that are playing well are going to make you pay for your mistakes if you have a two-minute lull like the Leafs have had you know that that period I forget what game it was it might have been game two or three when they just literally did nothing for two minutes and Florida scored two quick goals and basically won the game after that you can't do that the Leafs to me are a flawed team and they're a team that needs some kind of reconstruction, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But I just think the bottom line here is, like you said, the Stars didn't produce enough. That's one thing. The defense is not good enough. Samsonov was very shaky at times, and you know I don't understand this guy's technique in terms of playing goaltender. I liked what Joe Wall did when he came in, but it was too little too late, and that was it for Toronto. So I don't feel sorry for them. This is the team that Dubas has built. This is the team he wanted. This is the team he and Sheldon Keefe thought could win a cup. And I still don't understand where that's coming from. Like, it did not make sense to me. No, and you and I have been critical of the Leafs regime for a few years now. And I remember I was in the GTA when the Leafs finally won a playoff series. All the fans were on cloud nine, but I had this bad feeling in the back of my mind that this was about as good as it was going to get for the Leafs because they rightly manhandled Tampa. They were expected to. Imagine if they lost to Tampa this year. It would have been an even bigger disaster at the end of season press conference today. (laughs) But they rightly took care of an aging and declining Tampa Bay team. And then I thought if the Leafs played like we know they can play, you and I talked about this in our playoff preview show, the Leafs can play really well. They just didn't. Basically thought, all right, we played well for one series. We've broken the first round exit curse. That's all we need to do. We don't need to go any further. We've done our job. That's just what it felt like watching the Leafs in the second round. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I just didn't see the determination that I saw in that first round. To me, in that first round, obviously there were some games where you didn't play well and Tampa outplayed you, but there was a lot of battle and fight and and determination in that series that they ultimately won. I just didn't see that in this one. Maybe they took Florida lightly. I don't know. I just think they got comfortable. I think they did underestimate Florida. And then they got in a big hole and they, they kept saying, oh, you know, one game at a time. We'll take it one game at a time. We got this. (laughs) <laughs> no, you don't. Nope. And that's why they lost. I think uh, I think we got to move on to Dubas and Keefe here, don't we? Well, I'll say the, I've got some of the quotes here from the uh, end of season press conference that happened earlier today. One of the first ones that sticks out to me, I like this from Kyle Dubas. Nothing off the table. I like that. That's what a good GM should be saying after how many years has it been? Six, seven years of playoff disappointment with this core? And to me, that's the closest you're going to get to Kyle Dubas coming straight out and saying, we're willing to trade one of our core four here. Now, this is something you and I have argued the Leafs should have done 
ages ago. But I think this offseason, there's a very good chance we could see one of those core four guys going. We're not going to see Matthews go. We're not going to see Marner go. So that leaves Tavares, leaves Nylander. And I think there's a real possibility, Mac, that you could see both Tavares and Nylander go this offseason. Yeah, maybe. And I don't have anything against William Nylander, but the fact of the matter is he's an offense-only player. He doesn't play defense. And when that offense is not going, like it wasn't really going that much in the playoffs, and when he's not driving the net or, or hitting on his shots, he's not very effective. And Tavares, we've talked about him before, he's slower as he ages. To me, he was invisible at 5-on-5 five five in these playoffs. I did not like what I saw from him. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other guys I would consider moving. I I think Giordano should probably retire at this point. Riley was good, I think. If you can get a good defensive defenseman to play with Morgan Riley, I think he can be quite effective. He hasn't had that. And I think it's a lot to put on TJ Brody to play on a first pair, especially when he's another left-handed defenseman who should probably be on your second pair. The whole decor is miscast, in my opinion. So definitely a lot of interesting moves ahead. But I think we need to talk about, okay, what is Kyle Dubas's track record? And does he deserve to continue on as general manager here? I'm not sure. I think you could make an argument to say he deserves one more shot. But at the same time, I'm all, I'm, I'm literally on the fence on this, Mac, because... I see good cases to keep him. You know, he's made some good moves. The Leafs have hit on some pretty good picks. I think the Leafs have some real pieces here. They have some real potential. But at the same time, you have to think, this is year six or seven. The Leafs haven't gotten it done. You and I have been very critical of some of the moves Kyle Dubas has made. For example, why are you paying Matt Murray millions of dollars to sit in the press box? Mm. And I'll tell you exactly why. Because he's injured, he's old, and he can't play. (laughs) That was a stupid trade by Kyle Dubas to go and get Matt Murray. It was lazy, right? It was. You needed a goalie in the summer. And look, in my opinion, Ilya Samsonov was a backup plan who just happened to work out and they struck gold with him, obviously until the playoffs. But he thought Murray was the guy. And when he needed a goaltender, he thought of his roots in the Sioux, and he was like, I need Matt Murray. Nothing else matters. He didn't bother to look at other options. There were other guys out there. The Wild traded for a guy like Gustafson. You could have got him. There's countless other guys that they could have gone after, but no, we need Matt Murray, and we're not going to retain any salary (laughs) on him. I understand he's a smart guy, but what are you even thinking with a move like that? And don't tell me that was somebody else's idea. That's literally got Kyle Dubas written all over it. Yeah, Matt Murray, that is a Hail Mary right there. You know, that is the ultimate. I remember how good he was in the Sioux. He won two cups with Pittsburgh. Remember that. He won two cups with Pittsburgh. Ignore that time in Ottawa where he struggled, was injured all the time, let in a bunch of soft goals and had a sub 900 save percentage. He won two cups with Pittsburgh. You know, Barry Dorian fell for that trap and signed Matt Murray to a contract that was way too big. And then Kyle Zubis takes the exact same bait hook and sinker. What about some of these other mistakes? Remember Patrick Marlowe, who he signed, who was an aging veteran? Basically, his only value was that he could skate and maybe chip in some goals. And then the fact that you had to trade Marlowe, Marlowe's contract, and a first-round pick, which you really could have used to get rid of the contract to keep your team under the cap to Carolina. Like, you know, there's the Mrazic, there's the Nick Felino acquisition, there's Richie, there's the Kadri trade. There's a lot of issues there. And it's not just a few things you can point to. And I think 
the most troubling thing of all is, as you mentioned, he's hit on some draft picks. You know, give him credit. That's great. But why don't you keep more of your freaking draft picks? Wouldn't it be great to have a first and a second? Yeah, that would be nice. You know, it's amazing how similar Pierre Dorian and Kyle Dubas are. They've hit on some really good players in the draft. But when it comes to building depth around these really good pieces, neither of them seem to be able to do it. And I feel like both of those guys, not trying to get into a sense conversation here, but I think that both those two guys are in very similar situations. And I think if Pierre Dorian's on the real hot seat here in Ottawa, I think Kyle Dubas absolutely deserves to be on the hot seat in Toronto. You only have so many more years of Leafs contention, right? There's no guarantee that Austin Matthews resigns after the season. There's a pretty good chance of it. All signs are indicating that he will at the moment, but you can never guarantee that. You can never guarantee that Marner's going to stay healthy for the next five, six years. You never know what other teams in the Atlantic are going to do. This is a similar conversation that we can have with Edmonton in a few minutes, but the core window to win a cup is only open for so long, and the Leafs have burned they haven't made the bold moves they need to make to win a Stanley Cup. You look at the teams that are in the conference finals right now. They've all made bold moves, unpopular moves sometimes. They've all made big moves, coaching decisions behind the bench that might not have been overly popular, but they worked. And they're now playing in the Final Four for a chance to play in the Stanley Cup. Yeah, exactly. And I think the biggest thing that I take away from all of this and the end of this season is when he was motivated because it's whether or not his contract gets renewed you know he's in the last year of his contract as GM of the Leafs he actually made the moves that made this team a better all-around team but but hold on where were these moves seven years ago that's got to be the most frustrating thing of all and look I sympathize with Leaf fans that's that's frustrating when you have so many good players and you have a group that you can really build around and they just can't get it done that's got to be really frustrating I'll leave it at this bottom line whoever the next GM is whether it's Dubas with some change or whether it's someone else who I think it should be. I think they need to build this team around strong defense and goaltending. Build forward depth. You have star players still. You can still be a really good team. That's how you've got to do it, in my opinion. Well said. All right, let's move on to the Western Canadian version of the Toronto Maple Leafs. They've won a few more playoff series, but I think there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. The Edmonton Oilers, or as we will be referring to them, for the remainder of this segment, the Edmonton McDrysaddles. <laughs> Remember when you heard those hockey insiders saying, oh, I've got the Oilers winning the cup this year. They're going to go all the way. Yeah, they got Drysaddle and McDavid. Stuart Skinner is going to win Rookie of the Year. Well, what happened there, guys? They are who we thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is, great, that is my favorite quote by a coach, I think, that I've ever heard. <laughs> well, it's true. That series against Vegas proves it exactly right looking back at our playoff preview you and i both had them beating la we both had them bowing out against vegas now we both thought it would go to seven they only got it to six you know watching that series mac the oilers were exactly what we thought they were leon dreisaitl connor mcdavid they were carrying they had over half the goals pretty much and then you, you go down the list and it's just a huge drop-off, right? Where's Evander Kane, right? Where's Zach Hyman? Where are these guys that are supposed to be your depth scoring? It literally is the McDry Saddle show. 
I thought Hyman was good, but like you said, probably need a little more point production from him considering you're paying him like a top forward and he didn't perform that way. But like Yamamoto didn't do anything. Bukestad didn't do anything. I didn't see anything noticeable from their bottom six. And basically as a result, this is what the Oilers were in their playoff run. They were a team that relied on a super power play, which is historically great, but was terrible five on five when either McDavid, Dreisaitl, or Hyman wasn't on the ice. So that's three of your 12 forwards. You think that's a recipe for success? Nope. (laughs) Yeah, and how about Stuart Skinner? What are your thoughts on that situation? That was really interesting to see. I'm not sure if that was kind of a front office decision or a coaching decision, but very strange. I have some confidence that Stuart Skinner is better than what he showed in the playoffs. He had a really good rookie season this year. I think the Oilers do have something in him, but you know, the fact that they didn't switch him out when he was clearly struggling, he had a sub 900 save percentage and over three goals against average. That's just not good enough for a goaltender in the Stanley Cup playoffs, let alone a goalie in the Stanley Cup playoffs that's beyond the first round. Yeah, like why you could have even used a rotation if you don't want to play Jack Campbell all the games. But when Campbell played, he was quite good and he looked fresh and and healthy. Exactly. I just I just don't understand understand why with your season on the line you wouldn't turn to him a little bit more yeah and the fact that they're paying him so much money to just sit on the bench right jack campbell had his struggles this year there's no doubt about it but when Stuart skinner was struggling they should have switched out for him yeah now i want to get your take on matthias ekholm because personally i i was not impressed with what i saw from him in these playoffs No, I thought he was almost invisible most of the time. The only time I ever really noticed him, especially in the second round, was when he was taking penalties. And you don't want to give Vegas, who also has a really good power play, any more opportunities. But the thing that I shake my head the most about is how much Ken Holland gave up for Matthias Ekholm, right? Mm. It'd be one thing if if you gave up hardly anything for him, but they gave up an awful lot for him. They gave up more for Matthias Ekholm than Pierre Dorian gave up for Jacob Trickren. Now, you know, there is a difference. They're on. They're in different conferences and all that. But, you know, I look at the Matthias Ekholm trade. It's, it's an obvious overpayment for what you got out of him. And to me, it just proves time and time again, Ken Holland is not a great negotiator. They gave up a first-round pick. Tyson Berry, and I believe one of their top prospects, Schaefer, who's currently playing in the WHL Finals, I believe. What else is there to be said at this point, right? Like, this is who the Oilers are. And and I don't care how much hype is behind this team until something changes with the structure of this team and with the management. I'm not going to believe. I don't care who they have on the ice. It's, I think, probably the, the craziest thing of all is your... One of your top paid players, Evander Kane, basically became an enforcer slash agitator when you're paying that guy to score goals. Like, what is that? I I don't know. Hockey is a team game, Mac. You can't just win with two players. And it's been proven time and time again. And the thing that frustrates me the most about this, and I imagine you have very similar feelings, and a lot of hockey fans do, is... The Oilers are wasting the prime of two of the best players on the planet. How much longer are they going to be playing together, right? There's a real potential that one or both of them could be gone in the next few years. The Oilers aren't going to have many more cracks at this, and they're just wasting the prime of two of the best players here. Yep, they sure are. 
All right, let's move on to teams that are still playing Mac. Let's jump to the team that beat the McDry titles here in the Vegas Golden Knights. I thought they played a really good series. Vegas at times tried to play a trade chances game with Edmonton, and as a result, you know, they were taking a lot of penalties and they weren't winning that game. And they quickly realized, okay, we got to solidify our defense and be a little more physical, take less penalties. And we're probably going to win because at five on five, we have the advantage. We have a better goalie. And that's what happened, right? A lot more of those Vegas players showed up than the Edmonton players. We talked about Hyman, McDavid, and Dreisaitl on forwards. How many forwards did you notice for Vegas? I noticed Barbashev, Eichel, Stone, Marcheso, Carlson, their fourth line. Like a whole lot more than that. Yeah, Vegas's depth won out in this series like I thought it would. You know, when you're playing a team that only has one good line versus a team that can roll three, four good lines every night, depth is going to win out, especially in the playoffs. Goaltending was better. The Knights were just the better team overall. You and I were commenting watching Game 6. When it got off to an explosive start, (laughs) three goals in less than five minutes, you and I both commented that if this is going to be a run-and-gun scoring game, this favors Edmonton. But the more the game started to settle down, the more that favored Vegas. Vegas really, they play a gritty physical game, but they also have scoring, and they're super dangerous because that's a recipe for success in the playoffs. Yeah, and looking ahead to the matchup versus Dallas, I think this is going to be one of the best series of the year. And I think whichever team comes out of this one is is probably hoisting the Stanley Cup this year because those two teams are that good right now. Oh, I absolutely agree. This is going to be a really close series, a really physical series. You know, you break down by forwards, defensemen, goaltending. You have to give the edge to goaltending. To Dallas here, the tandem in Vegas has been good, but Jake Ottinger is Jake Ottinger. I feel like it's a wash on pretty much anything else, though. You know, you could make a case on either side. The defense is pretty similar. The forwards, you know, both have some depth. Both have a lot of star power. This is going to be a very close series. Really, you could flip a coin and it'd be just as good a prediction as anything you and I could come up with and that's the type of series I like for Dallas there are some concerns there right you know you did get it done in seven versus the Kraken but if Dallas is playing better throughout those six seven games they probably get it done earlier and obviously round one they had some anxious moments against Minnesota but they were clearly the better team a lot of that was Philip Gustafson just playing unreal for Minnesota so I think if you're the stars you've got to feel good you've gotten a lot of scoring from different sources everybody's kind of buying into their role hoping Jake Ottinger can be a little more consistent with his game because when he's consistent, he's one of the best goalies in the league. He's been uh, under fire a lot this playoffs and had a bit of trouble keeping the puck out of the net. But I think this is a guy that will rise to the occasion when the games are the biggest. And this is the type of situation he's going to love playing in. Oh, absolutely. For a prediction here, Mac, I'm going to take Vegas in seven. This isn't a very sure thing prediction like I had with some other predictions this playoffs because it's so close, but I just think Vegas is playing really well right now. You know, in the playoffs, at the end of the day, it's all about who's hot. I feel like Vegas has been hotter. They're playing really well. I think they're primed for more success. This could be the year that Vegas hoists Lord Stanley's Cup. You know what will be really interesting is, remember, Bruce Cassidy was brought in to replace Pete DeBoer. Pete DeBoer is now the coach in Dallas and has led them to a very fine season. To me, I think you will see the difference between who is the better coach, and I think it's close. I think it's really close. But if Bruce Cassidy is the better coach, you will notice that in this series. 
I'm tempted to take Dallas because I, you guys know I like Dallas. We both like Dallas, but I'm I'm not being biased. I do think Vegas is the better team, not by a lot, but I have more faith in them. I'm going to take Vegas in seven as well. All right. Well, this is still a very close series. This is one where it could go either way, and I just can't wait for Friday night because you know this series, as you said, has the potential to be the series at the playoffs here. You know, this is the type of series that we could look back on in five years and say, that was an epic series, could have gone either way, whichever team won was going to win the Stanley Cup. That's the type of series we have here, or potentially have, I should say, because we could be very disappointed, but I don't think we will be. I think we're going to be very entertained. Unlike the other series, Carolina and Florida, I I just don't have a lot of excitement about this one. There might be a bit of Canadian bias here with you and I being north of the 49th, but I just don't see a lot of hype around this one compared to Vegas and Dallas. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like This is literally the most neutral conference finals matchup you can possibly imagine. What else would be really neutral? Like Buffalo versus the most neutral matchup, right? Like nobody hates the Hurricanes. Nobody hates the Panthers. Well, I know one person that hates the Hurricanes, Don Jerry. Don Jerry hates the Hurricanes (laughs) because they're a bunch of jerks. (laughs) I'm sure he's just so angry in his old man rocking chair back in Toronto. (laughs) I can't believe those bunch of jerks are almost at the Stanley Cup. (laughs) Oh, Don. Anyway, you know, I think you're right. This is a pretty neutral series unless you're Don Cherry. It's going to be a long series, but I don't think it's going to be a super exciting series, if that makes any sense to you, Mac. Yeah, I think I see it as more of a low-scoring series versus what the Carolina Hurricanes just played and maybe the Florida Panthers just played against the Leafs. To me, when Flor- when Carolina played against New Jersey, they got into kind of a trading chances game and that resulted in some really bizarre scores. Like some games were, what, 5-1, 6-1. Other games were much closer. To me, it's going to be something in between that. And the way the goaltenders are playing and the way the defense is playing for Carolina, I just think we're in for a much closer, more even series. But I will say that even though I'm impressed with what I've seen from the Florida Panthers, I don't know if Sergei Brovsky can continue this incredible run. It, it just feels like it's going to end at some point. And I think Carolina has the coaching, the depth, and the best defense left in the playoffs to win this series. So I'm going to take the Canes in six. Yeah, I'm going to take the Canes in six as well. With that being said, Matt Kachuk and Bobrovsky are your X-Factors in this series for Carolina because we know that Matt Kachuk is playing on another level, one of the best players in the league right now. He's looked really, really good. And he and Bobrovsky alone could very well will this team to the Stanley Cup final. And, you know... The Hurricane, sorry, the Panthers as a whole have been playing very, very well. And there's a reason that they're here. They're playing a really strong 60 minutes, a team effort. You know, it's not just one guy carrying this team. Sir, Sir ba- Sergei Bobrovsky's done a lot of heavy lifting, but you have to give credit where credit's due to the Panthers. They've played a really good team game overall. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to agree with you on this one. The Hurricanes. They're just the better overall team. I think that any difference Bobrovsky can make will be mitigated by the Hurricanes' defense, their offense. But with that being said, you know, we certainly can't count out the Panthers here because they've proven everyone wrong so far. Mm -hmm. And 
they could very well upset the Hurricanes here because the Hurricanes have been inconsistent at times. You know, they've been pretty good most of the playoffs, but they do have occasions and games where they just don't show up. They don't play to their potential. Well, I think the prime example is those games in New Jersey. They, <laughs> they, they go to New Jersey for game three. They dominated on home ice. Mm-hmm. And then they go to New Jersey, lay an absolute egg, and then less than 48 hours, they go out and destroy New Jersey. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. consistency has been a struggle for all these teams. I, I will say this, though. For the Panthers to have any chance... I mean, statistically, they do. They have to win one in Carolina, but they really have to win one in in Raleigh. But that's a really tall task. That's a tough building to play in. It's a loud building. Those fans are really passionate. If anyone can do it, it's Sergei Bobrovsky, Matt Kachuk with the Panthers because, you know, everything seems to have gone right for them this year. Got to give them credit where credit's due, but I think we have to go Carolina here. Yeah, I agree. They definitely have a chance, and you have to give credit to their forwards. Matt Kachuk has been really good. Carter Verhage has been really good. Barkov has been noticeable. You'd like him to be a bit better. They've played a real team game. They're very physical, block a lot of shots. I think they're number two in hits and blocks behind the Seattle Kraken, who were recently eliminated. So what has worked for them so far is playing that style of game kind of being uh, hard to play against and getting the goaltending. I just worry that at any point when that goaltending drops off just a little bit, the house of cards could fall in if, if you catch my drift. Bobrovsky has been holding them up for sure. I mean, yeah, we ranted against the Leafs, but the Leafs certainly put a lot of shots on Sergei Bobrovsky in those five games. All right, well, let's move into some other news and notes here, Mac. Let's touch on Connor Hellebuck as the offseason progresses here and we start to have a better idea of what Kevin Sheveldayoff is going to do in Winnipeg, I think that there's a real chance that Connor Hellebuck's on a new team at the start of the season next year. Yeah, I just, I don't see any way around it. I think he's done his time there. He wants out, you know, they're heading for more of a retool rebuild and he doesn't have to be a part of that. He has been a good soldier. He's stuck around. He's carried this team for years despite their deficiencies. I would hope that the team acquiring him does not have him play 64 games, but we'll see. I want to mention your Ottawa Senators here first because I think that's kind of a perfect and ideal fit. And another team I could see is LA for Connor Hellbuck. Yeah, I like the fit for both with both Ottawa and LA. Obviously, I have some preference towards Ottawa with my bias, but I could absolutely see him in LA as well. Both those teams, young teams on the cusp of doing something really good, but goaltending is holding both those teams back. And if either Ottawa or LA can land him, that's a huge step in the right direction for both teams. You know, I just think off the top of my head, for Ottawa at least, you've got a guy with an expiring RFA contract in Alex Debrinkit, who's really, you know, he's a one-dimensional player. He's like a Nylander. Hellebuck only has one more year after this year, so the price isn't going to be quite as steep as it would be if you're acquiring a guy with term. Ottawa could absolutely sign him to a longer-term deal. Yes, it means the Sens lose someone like Alex Dabrinkit. How I see it, Mac, is you're losing a 20-30 goal scorer potentially, but you're getting a goaltender in Hellebuck who's saved way more than 30 goals with some of his miraculous saves over the season. Yeah, exactly. And and a couple other teams I want to mention, obviously, depending what happens, I think New Jersey could use Hellebuck. That would make sense as you've got a young goalie who is clearly developing, but I think he needs a little more time to, to find his form in Schmied. You could have a good tandem with Hellebuck and Schmied, for example. And Toronto, if they make moves, he could be a tandem with Joe Wall. Th- those are just four teams that I think make a lot of sense for Hellebuck. All right. You know what? 
we have to talk about this because I almost forgot to mention it. We have to talk about the Blackhawks getting Connor Bedard. And that, that is a tough day for hockey, man. It's it's really sad to see, honestly. Well, I'll tell you this. I was watching the draft lottery. I had you on the phone. And as soon as they said the final two teams are Anaheim and Chicago, I knew it was going to go to Chicago. I know it's not rigged. And I think Chicago fans are, are very tone deaf on this. They, they think we're all upset because we think it's rigged. That's not why we're upset. We're upset because they did horrible things to Kyle Beach. And now they're rewarded with the first overall pick. I think they only, then they only get fined $2 million or something. Yep. $2 million, and, you suspended your coach and your GM, and literally no other penalties whatsoever. Exactly. It's absolutely ridiculous. When the, the so thing basically, was, sorry to interrupt you, but basically no the NHL is saying, hey guys, sexual assault and sexual abuse is okay, and we'll just give you a little slap on the wrist. Nothing else will happen. It's ridiculous. And it, what really made me sick to my stomach, Mac, I forget who posted it, but it was a... It was one of the NBC sports people out of Chicago saying that the evening after it was announced that Chicago had won the draft lottery and they were going to get Bedard. I forget how many season ticket holders renewed or new season oh, ticket it was, holders. Wasn't it like 200% of season tickets yeah, were sold? Oh, exactly. So that's like, there's your fine from the NHL right there, right? Gone, right? Well, two million? Okay, Easily. we'll just, you know, and the fact that teams like Vancouver and Arizona who were doing things at the Combine that weren't good by the CBA, got punished with draft picks taken away. The <laughs> it fact tells you that, everything you need to know. Exactly. Right? You know, Chicago should have never been in this position after what they did to Kyle Beach. You know, the only hope we have left, and I don't think it's going to happen because I don't see Connor Bedard as that type of guy, is saying, hey, I don't want to go here. You can draft me, but you're going to have to trade me. That would be nice, wouldn't it? It's not going to happen. Wouldn't it be nice for NHL players to stand up for themselves a little bit more? Mm-hmm, but, you know, the the old boys club, the hockey culture, it'll continue to go on and on as long as the NHL allows things like this to happen. Yeah, it's it, that's just the way it is, whether we like it or not, you know, and, and when it happened, we weren't surprised, but there was a lot of outrage, and obviously there are conspiracy theorists out there that think it was rigged. It wasn't rigged. Chicago was a very bad team this year. Blame the NHL for allowing them to have the draft pick to be in the lottery, which they never should have had. In the first place. Absolutely. Well, in some more positive off-ice news, the Senators are one step closer to having a new owner. Unfortunately, Mac, you know, I'm very sad inside. There's a good chance it's not going to be Ryan Reynolds. Of course, there is the potential that he signs on with the winning ownership group. I, I wouldn't be surprised if all of them have reached out to Ryan Reynolds' agent and said, hey, if we're the winning bid, if he wants to come in and be involved with the team and have an ownership stake, he is more than welcome to do so. And I'm sure the NHL has encouraged that. We do know that one bidder bid over a billion dollars. That's all we know for sure. And it's Snoop Dogg. <laughs> you know, how are you going to say no to Snoop? I really like what he's been saying. You know, I know we talked about bad hockey culture a minute ago, but I really like what he's been saying about we need to open up a black hockey league in the States, here in Canada, make hockey more affordable, reach mm. out to people that, you know, normally aren't exposed to hockey. That can only be a good thing. The NHL needs someone like Snoop on board one way or another because the NHL needs more diversity. We need to get rid of the old boys club. And having a guy like Nico Sparks and Snoop Dogg, Ryan Reynolds, 
all in on the Sens with indigenous minority ownership. I think that that could be really, really good for the NHL. And it may be just what the NHL needs to finally start to kick the old boys club. That does sound pretty ideal. I will say that. Absolutely. But one way or another, you know, one of these groups is going to own the Sens. And I think bright times are ahead for the Sens. You know, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I like the idea of the Sparks group. Well, everyone, thanks for listening to Center Ice. We'll get back to you with a new episode soon. We hope you enjoyed the Leafs and Oilers rant, plus our thoughts on the matchups. Enjoy the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs, whether your team is in or out. And all the best. Stay safe, guys. 